You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. For the last time, Lord willing, for the next while, I'm asking you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3. Ushers are coming forward here in the main worship theater as well as live stream. We uh, are thankful that you are in the next theater or two theaters over and are able to be in the Word of God and in worship with us here. And just thank you for attending there and uh, going in there just so faithfully. It allows uh, more room for us to uh, be able to do what God has called us to do, to worship the Lord together. And and I'm preaching a little early in the sermon because we're going to backload the end of the sermon with some extra worship as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, but we would love everyone to have a copy of God's Word in your hand. So if you don't have a Bible today, raise your hand. The ushers would love to give you a Bible to be able to borrow or to take home if you don't have one at home, because we believe so much in the power, the strength, the authority of God's Word, and so just encourage you to to have uh, a copy of God's Word in your hand and, and find the book of Habakkuk. If you have to use the index in the front, that's fine, because it's not an easy book to find, because it's only three chapters long. And so here we are, our last... Um, message here in this amazing book. Uh, How we're going to start this morning is by showing you some before and after pictures. Before and after are pretty cool because you see how transformations can take place. So take a look at some of these transformations. First of all, an exterior house renovation. You can see that, you know, just kind of going with the old and and, and just sprucing it up, changing it, and and, and just giving it, you know, some some work and some dollars and, and you see some changes. Or even a living room renovation that can take place and just, again, just, just how the before and after uh, can, can be so noticeably different. Or, or, or how about weight loss? Some, you know, there's all kinds of weight loss pictures. Here you see a guy who has undergone some extensive weight loss and, and uh, getting into physical shape and, and just the changes there. Or, or here's one. Here is a picture of a guy who was sober for six months who had a strong drinking alcohol addiction and was sober for six months and, and just, again, the change, the transformation. And even celebrities can sometimes undergo some, some kind of shocking changes. Take a look at this one. You know, there's Tom Cruise in his, apparently, Tom Cruise in his high school days with some uh, needed uh, uh, braces and, and uh, just whatever else uh, that has been done to him over the years uh, just looks... Uh, quite dashing, I must say. Anyways, uh, before and after pictures and, and, and comparisons can be pretty neat. And, and, and we're going to look at a major before and after picture here of the prophet Habakkuk, who six messages ago when we started this, he, we, we had a glimpse of the prophet. We saw that, that from there in chapter 1 to now in chapter 3, he's undergone quite the change, quite the transformation. In chapter 1, it was all gloom and doom for Habakkuk. Habakkuk. The sky was falling. Well, maybe not literally, but, but actually close. God's people were no longer honoring God. They were no longer following God and his ways. And the Babylonians, as a result, God said, the Babylonians are coming and they are going to bring justice upon my people, the Israelites. And, and, and Habakkuk wasn't excited about this. And, and, and God also told Habakkuk that then I will bring my justice upon the Babylonians. And so, so Habakkuk is alarmed and he is rattled and he is shaken by this. He's disillusioned by not only the current state of affairs, but also in understanding what is to come for God's people. And so he's shocked at what's coming. He's afraid. He's, He's uncertain of what to do. And, and he tells God so. He tells God, God, this isn't fair. God, this isn't right. 
God, how could you do this kind of thing? But instead of packing it in, instead of just turning his back on God, he presses into God. He gets away, he pulls away, he gets alone and allows God to speak to him. And God's word tells us that when we seek him, we will find him. When we seek him with half our hearts. Is that what it says? No, it's to seek him with our whole heart. To seek hard after God, he will be found. And Habakkuk draws away, he goes to the watchtower and there he prays and there he waits for God. And God does meet him. And God gives him and gives him a grandeur and gives him insight into what is, going, what is really going on in a larger perspective. No longer is he just seen horizontally, but he's seen vertically. He's seen from God's perspective. And he declares in chapter 2, verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. With everything that is happening, he declares God's sovereignty, and he says God is still in control, and he comes to rest in the sovereignty of God. And I wonder today in your life, in your situation, whether it is something that is noticeable and something you talk about, or whether it is something that is private, is there gloom and doom in your life? Either a current situation that you are facing, or maybe something that you are fearful, or something that you see coming on the horizon. Maybe it's your health, or the health of a loved one. Maybe it's a relationship issue, heartbreaking relationship issue perhaps even. Maybe it's for the concern and the anxiety and the angst about unsaved loved ones or ones who have walked away from the Lord. Maybe it's something to do with your financial, or financial position or your career. There's uncertainty. Or maybe there's a wave of discouragement. It's coming like a cloud or, or depression that you are in and you're just saying, oh God, it's gloom and it is doom and I don't see any hope. Maybe you've been asking and you've been seeking God about a particular situation and you've been praying and you've been praying and you've been seeking God and you've been trusting God and it's only going from bad to worse. Look at our world. Those are just some of the things that we might be facing on a personal level. Look at our world. It's pretty gloom and doom in many different ways when you turn on the news, when you scroll or read the news, however you get your news today as well as throw in some good old fake news, it would seem just kind of to mix it all up a little bit, and it's hard to know what is true. But, but, but in so many ways, we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We're watching Romans 1 just be lived out and before us. Truth and facts and logic are just not real. It's like, like the prophet Isaiah who says that truth and justice are just lost out in the streets. And so truth, logic, and facts... Things that are real are not accepted, and feelings and personal perspectives are accepted and acceptable. We have protests in our nation. Across our land, we're just seeing divide happen. And now this virus that is spreading and fears mounting, and you read some articles where they're talking, it will go away. Others says, call it an epidemic. Others call it a, a, a future pandemic. And, and we just see what's happening, even the uncertainty. This week, the markets just went on a free fall that hasn't been seen you know, since 2008, since the recession that took place then. And, and, and we're seeing what's going on in the world. And, and, and whether it's in the world or whether it's in our own lives, it can cause us great concern and anxiety and cause us 
to, to wonder, and it causes us to ask the deep and the difficult, even at times the dark questions of, God, where are you? God, why is this happening? Why aren't you coming through? Why is this happening in this family or to this person or in our world? How is this all going to work out, God? Well, we can learn, and we have been learning from this amazing prophet, this man of God. As he undergoes, we see some incredible changes through this book as we work through these three chapters. As he undergoes this metamorphosis, this transformation from gloom and doom, and, and, and now by the end of chapter 3, we're not seeing him in a gloom and doom state. We're seeing him experiencing glory and rejoicing. He goes from gloom and doom to this glory and rejoicing, from, from confusion to clarity, from a protest of God to praise of God, to whining to worship. From wrestling to resting. And you know what? Nothing, absolutely nothing has changed about his circumstances. Everything is still the same. The same outlook is common. God's people have not repented. They're not, they're not following after God. They're following other gods. Nothing has changed externally, but he has changed and today as we finish chapter 3 of this book, we are going to focus on the last four verses. We covered the other verses last week. And here we see in these last four verses some of the greatest confessionals, one of the greatest confessions of faith that we'll see in the entire Word of God. Habakkuk has faced the fact that the nation is going to be invaded and merciful, mercilessly by the Babylonians, they are going to come. God's people are going to suffer losses. Many will be taken into exile. Their lands, their crops, everything is going to be ruined. Even the temple of God destroyed. He's come to grips with that. And yet we see an unsettled prophet and yet still a trusting prophet. And it's this, this crazy dilemma we're going to see here today. And yet with all that is happening, he affirms his faith, his confidence in God, his commitment to follow God no matter what. Because he understands and he has a relationship with God that is different than so oftentimes our relationship can be. Last week, the first 15 verses we looked at, and I believe that just in a quick review, we can see three movements in chapter 3, three movements in the text, three attitudes or actions that, that enable Habakkuk to go from gloom and doom to glory and rejoicing. And last week we saw this. The first one was the plea of the prophet. There was a desperation that he had. And, and as he humbles himself before God, as he gets a right understanding of how great and how mighty and how powerful God is, and he sees himself for who he is. He humbles himself before God. And he's basically declaring, God, I get it. I understand it. You are holy. You are just. You are fair. You are loving. You are good. And you must deal with sin. Otherwise, you would not be fair and love, loving and just and, and, and good. And I, I get it that you're going to deal with your people in their ways. And then you're going to also deal with the Babylonians. And yet God, and yet God, with all that's coming, he declares, oh God, in humility, remember mercy. In your wrath, remember mercy, God. He makes that great statement. He gets low before God in humility and says, Oh God, be merciful to me. Be merciful to us as sinners. And that is the cry for everyone who comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We humble ourselves before God and say, Oh God, be merciful to me. For I am a sinner and I deserve your wrath and I deserve punishment. But by your grace and because of your mercy, I can find forgiveness and freedom in relationship. The second movement that we saw was the prayer of the prophet. 
And this wasn't asking, this was recollection. And actually, we prayed through these cycles, as Josh mentioned in the announcements. We prayed through this at our prayer night last Sunday night. We spent time in adoration and recalling who, how great and how marvelous and wonderful our God is, just adoring his character and his qualities. And then we spent time just recalling, spending time recollecting God's glorious works the things that he has done throughout history, through the history of the world in the word of God, but also recollecting God's faithfulness and, and, and goodness in our own lives, in our situations. And he meditates on God. And, and this wasn't an emptying of the mind, but a filling of his mind with the word of God, with what he knew was true about God. God's glory and his faithfulness and the way he delivered his people and he recounts that through verses 3 to 15. But today we get to the last movement. We see the last movement and we see the praise of the prophet. We see the prophet who is praising God, who is making a declaration towards God. And those words, the desperation, recollection, and then declaration are important movements in Habakkuk's life. They're important movements in our lives. This is where he moves forward. This is where defeat does not get him. This is where he declares his faith, his trust in God no matter what. And so here we see the praise of the prophet. And there's four declarations we will see here in these last few verses, starting at verse 16. And the first action or the first commitment he, he makes here when it comes to praise is this is how he determines to praise God. I will trust in the trouble. God, I will trust you in the trouble. Look, verse, look at verse 16 of Habakkuk chapter 3. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Habakkuk, he knows what is coming. He gets it. And yes, he's overwhelmed. In fact, Look at what it says, my body trembles, and, and that means kind of from the gut area. When he's talking about his gut, his torso, and, and he's talking about his stomach, it's churning. It, it, he has this sick feeling when he's thinking about what is happening to his people, but also what is to come from the hand of the Babylonians. And he says, my body is trembling. His lips are quivering. It says this is where he goes to talk and, 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 and he just wants to cry. And you know, you sometimes see that someone's so overwhelmed with grief. Sometimes you see it. It's so cute in a little baby, isn't it? When you see a little baby angry or mad or crying and you see that bottom lip quick quivering. But that can even happen to us. In times of, of just great emotion and just, just, just not knowing what to do, not even know what to say. And, and when you go to try to speak, you, the lip starts quivering and you just start crying. This is where he's at. Just understand the heartbeat and just understand what he's going through. His body's trembling. His lips are quivering. What does it say next? Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble. The thought of what is happening just weakens him that he cannot stand. I mean, he is greatly affected. He's saying, I'm scared. He's so honest. He's so honest, and that is such a good place to be. This wasn't him trying to be Mr. Macho Man, you know, have this stiff upper lip I can handle. I have to be strong for the kids after all. This, th there was absolutely no fake it till you make it kind of mindset here with him. No, he's like, I'm a basket case. I don't know what to do. 
I'm afraid of what's happening, of what is coming. This wasn't him just trying to stay positive, you know, the power of positive thinking to get him through. No, this was him trusting and resting as he even says, I will wait quietly for God. I will wait for God. I will wait in faith. I will wait by faith. He's so real. And he's so raw about this and it's such a good place to be. He was honest enough to say, see, he had the right belief. He said, God, I trust you. I love you. I believe in you. You are right. You are righteous. You are just. You do everything that is true. You are holy. You never make a mistake. I know all of this, God, but I'm scared. I'm scared and I don't know what to do. And yet, what does he say here? I will trust. I will trust God in the trouble. I wonder, can you say that today? As you wait for those test results for yourself or for a loved one. You're waiting to see if you get that job or not that could make a big change or a difference in your life. As you wait and wonder about that relationship. Or wait or wonder if that right relationship will ever come. As you wait and you wonder about your finances or your career or your children or your grandchildren. or Will you wait quietly even though there's fear? Even though your body trembles? So oftentimes I think we, we think the Bible characters are like superheroes and don't struggle. And I love the raw realness here. And that's where it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to have this kind of fear. But, but it, 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 it comes to then, as Habakkuk does here, but I will wait patiently. I will wait quietly. I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust. But he doesn't stop there. He continues on. We'll see in a few moments. You see, so oftentimes we have our plans and our goals. And, and we kind of expect God... His job, after all, is to come and fulfill them, right? We, we even, you know, perhaps we prayed a little bit about it, and, and it just, these doors seem to open up, and it just seemed to be such a God thing, and so now we just expect God to come through. Habakkuk had his thoughts about what God should do, and yet God, he discovered, had his plans You see, he wants our hearts and our dependence, our faith and our obedience, and And he leaves us in a fallen world and at times will deprive us of the things that we want or the things that we think we need because in reality, the things that we want and the things that we think we need, they're overrated because they won't deliver. You see, true joy and true satisfaction isn't going to come by getting that house, that car, that, that, that perfect marriage, that, you know, the right amount of kids that just rise up every morning and call you blessed. Like, that's just not, it's just not going to happen, right? Well, maybe not in our house, but, you know, I mean, maybe. You see, true peace and true satisfaction is found only in God. When Jesus stands with us and by us, we're in relationship with it. We have all that we need, come what may. And we need this kind of a reset in our lives. 
We get our focus and everything on such earthly things and we, we, we worry and we get so concerned rather than trusting and giving it to God. My in-laws are visiting today from Saskatoon and my father-in-law, a few weeks ago, we usually check in with them on Sunday evenings or they check in with us. And, and, and a few weeks ago, we were talking and I said, hey, did you end up watching, I believe it was um, curling in the evening. There was the Scotties Tournament of Hearts from Moose Jaw and he said, no, our TV, it froze on us and, 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 and I have to phone Sastel, Sastel cable or something and get them out here to fix it in the morning. I don't know, it's all shot, our whole PVR and, and, and that. And, and I said, well, what did you do? He well, I've turned it on and off, and I've tried, and, and I think even they got advice from one of their neighbors. I think maybe even their neighbor came over and tried to help sort it out, and, you know, and it's like, did you bang it a few times? Did you do whatever? And, and he's like, ah, this thing, you know, I'm just going to have to get a new one. Call them out tomorrow and have them come fix it. I said, can you just do one thing? Just go and just unplug it. Just unplug your whole system, TV, P PVR, everything. Just go and just turn everything, like unplug it from the wall. What good is that going to be? Just, just try it. Just try it. And I said, you'll be calling me in a few minutes to tell me it's all fixed. And, and usually I'm not that confident, but because I've had this happen. And next thing you know, about 10 minutes later, he's like, I guess I owe you a meal when I come out because it works just fine. So we're going out this afternoon, Jack. Anyways, you, you got to come, 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 come through on that delivery there. But you know what? So oftentimes things get bogged down and stuff happens, and then it's not working anymore. And we need that reset. And we have to, and today is, and can be for you, that reset. Get your eyes off of the dilemmas. Get your eyes off of the situations. Get your eyes off of the sin, off of the fears, the anxieties, the things that are holding you back, and get your eyes back on Jesus. That's where it starts. And that's where life is found it's not about what people think. It's not about your reputation. It's not about your people power or what they think or what they say or what we hope they think or say about us. What God knows about us and he knows we're troubled people and he loves us and he cares for us. And he wants to wrap his arms around us, but we're running around and we need that reset. You see, God does not exist to just give us our idols, to give us the things that we want but to be, God exists to be the object of our affection because when he is, everything then is in its right place. That's the reset button. He's interested in our transformation to make us more and more like Christ. And it's not going to happen if we have our eyes on all kinds of other things. But you see, sadly and wrongly, we think our relationship with God is contractual. That's contract basis. I mean, and we have contracts for everything. We have certain expectations of God. And we figure he has certain expectations of us. God, if I do this, you're going to do this for me, right? I mean, we wouldn't say it, but this is kind of how we oftentimes think. If I'm in the Word every day, I'm going to have an awesome day, right, God? If I give to you financially, you're going to, you're going to you know, because your bucket is bigger than mine, and you're just going to give me even more. So oftentimes we think, God, if I do this, you will do this for me. And we think if we just do the right things... Correct practice always delivers right and good results, right? That's what we think. God, you hold up your side and I'll hold up mine. And if God doesn't, well, we've got a problem with him. 
Dave Harvey, the president of the Great Commission Collective, the family of churches, were a part of it, our recent senior pastors and wife, wives retreat that Charlotte and I were able to attend, um, mentioned, was talking similarly to this, and he called this kind of thinking deterministic obedience. My obedience guarantees God's, fruitful, God's fruitfulness in my timetable. I obey the Bible. I discipline, love, be devoted to my wife and my kids, and my kids will go on to heaven one day, and here on earth, I will look good. That's oftentimes the thinking we have. If I work hard serving the Lord, God will reward me. And we bank our joy and our happiness and our progress and our success on these things. But God's view of success and progress is so much different than ours. And at times, God pulls us into the wilderness. And he allows illness and crisis and loss and reputation being slammed. He allows a fiery furnace, difficult trials. You see, his relationship with us, though, isn't contractual. It's covenantal. He makes a covenant and commitment to his children, and we'll see that in a little bit. And so we have the first move that we need to make in our lives, the first determined statement that we need to live out is, I will wait for God. I will trust in the trouble. I will wait quietly and trust you, God. The second one is this, that we see point B. I will rejoice in the those and the even ifs. Verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the product of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Habakkuk goes on to, is describing here the absolute worst case scenarios of what could happen to them and to him as, as the people of God for the people living in that day. Six things that we see going from bad to worse, or from good to bad to worse. Though the fig tree should not blossom. Let, let's just break it down. Let's see these six things. The fig tree should not blossom. Figs were, were and are a, a superfood. They're very good for you. High in vitamins. They're good for the digestive system. They're good for heart health. But they were also a delicacy. Removing them wouldn't be a real hardship. And for some of you, you couldn't care less. You don't like figs. You don't like dates. They're kind of a very similar thing. It's just you know, not a big deal. But oftentimes, figs in the, for the people of Israel, for God's people, were often seen as an important symbol of prosperity and God's blessing. And so even though the fig tree does not blossom, nor fruit on the vine, this is referring to the grapes, this was their daily drink. Again, sad loss, but not devastating. But then it goes on, it says, the olive fail. This would start to hurt because olives... Olive oils were a health product, but used in cooking, in lighting their lamps so they could see. This is a more of an important staple than figs and, and, and the grapes. But then look at this. And the fields yield no food. Now this is getting bad. This is getting really bad. This is food shortages. As, as grain was their primary source for their diet. It goes on. And if this goes on for a longer period of time, it's going to mean hunger. It's going to mean starvation. Look at it. It continues to go on. There in verse 17. The flocks be cut off and no herds in the stall. Sheep were used for wool, for clothing. Cows for farming and for meat. What Habakkuk is basically describing is a total and complete devastation. 
economic disaster, hunger, starvation, people dying. I mean, if one or two of these happen, not a big deal. All six of them, as he's describing, this is going to be catastrophic. Similarly to us today, if these six things were to happen, it might go like this. Where the stores are empty of food. Where our savings accounts are gone. Where our credit cards are maxed out. Our bills cannot be paid. There's economic ruin in our land. And history tells us that all of this happened. The Babylonians came in and pillaged and plundered and destroyed homes and villages. They cut down the, the, the crops and the trees and the, the vines. They just chopped it all down. It was even believed that even the cedars of Lebanon, the great in, in, in their world takeover, they even chopped down many of the great cedars in Lebanon just to be rude, just to be ignorant, just to be domineering. And what does Habakkuk declare in verse 18? Though all of these things happen, he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He's not taking joy in his circumstances, but he's finding his joy, his strength, his power in God. He's determined, determining to trust and to rest and to rejoice in the those, though these things happen, or even if these things happen. Though the fig tree does not blossom. And even if this does not happen, I, or happens, I will rejoice in my God. Let's face it, fig, olive, flock, herd, losses happen in our lives too. Illness, broken dreams, foreclosures, betrayal, financial crash. Will we trust and rejoice in the God of our salvation even when the those and the even ifs happen. I will rejoice in the Lord, the God of my salvation. Even when the whole world goes crazy, which it is, I will rejoice in the Lord. You see, for Habakkuk, God was enough for him. He came to rest his hopes and his heart in God. He came to that place of surrender in his life. And until there's surrender in a life, we cannot have all of God because he does not have all of us. Listen to this. Surrender is not when you lose hope. It's when you realize God is your only hope. Let me say that again. Surrender is not when you lose hope. It's not just when you throw in the white towel or the white flag and say, okay, uncle, I give up. It's when we realize, hey, God has brought us to a point and we realize He is our only hope. It's in choosing to see and then to determine and declare that God is our only hope. And so we go from gloom to glory by rejoicing in the even ifs and in the those. And then thirdly, we see another movement here. I will rest in God's strength. Look in verse 19. First part of it, he says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And as I said earlier, God's relationship with his people is not contractual. It's covenantal. I am his and he is mine. And if we are in a true relationship with God, if we are truly one of his children, Romans 8 declares 
that nothing can separate us from his love. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword. No, none of these things can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us. This statement, when, when, when Habakkuk says, God the Lord, in verse 19, underline that in your Bibles, that's golden, that's golden, that's golden, because only two places, two books of the Bible, we see this. It's here in Habakkuk, and then we also see it in Psalms, where we see these names put together like this, God the Lord. God means Yahweh, Yahweh God, who which speaks and declares of God's power and supremacy over all things, his self-existent, the God of all glory, the God of all creation, the one and only God, the creator and the covenant-making God. This is who Yahweh God is. That is who he is declaring. But, but he just doesn't talk about the great and the grand, glorious God of the universe. He says the Lord, which is Adonai, which is tender, it's relational. It's him saying, God of this universe, great and mighty God. But then he says, but he's my God. He's my God. I know him and he knows me. He lives by faith in relationship with God. I bow down to him. He is worthy. He is my Lord. He is my master. My God is mighty and all-knowing, all-powerful, and he's my God. He's my savior. He's my master. He's my friend. This is where the strength comes from. It's not the power of positive thinking. It is the power that comes from God of this universe who we're in relationship with. It doesn't come down to our grit and determination and I'm just going to make it through it and pound through this hardship or through this trial of my own strength. You can do that and, and, and people will do and get through that but not experience the presence and the peace of God in their lives. And Habakkuk says, God the Lord is the strength. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Now deer are some pretty amazing animals, aren't they? If you know me very long, I have very much of a um, well, I couldn't even say love-hate relationship with these creatures. These are pictures just taken from our, uh, just from our back door, literally, as uh, yeah, deer have become a little bit of an issue. Amazing creatures out in the wild, beautiful creatures out in the wild, and for some of you, also amazing and beautiful creatures next to your mashed potatoes. Uh, not so much for me, but, but, but there are these amazing creatures, and, and, and in town and in, in neighborhoods, or in our gardens, they're becoming quite a problem. And, and you will hear about in the news and, and uh, these pictures, we see them regularly. Yes, they're so cute, but uh, last spring, I think it was Charlotte and I went for, for a walk one evening and it was about a half an hour walk. We saw 28 different deer on our walk through our neighborhood. We didn't even go into the back country. This was just through our neighborhoods and just enjoying the nice greening grass and, and the leaves on the trees. So yeah, they're becoming a little bit of a problem. And, and uh, last winter, I uh, showed you pictures, I even believe, uh, of our doorbell camera captured one of them eating one of our um, cedars that we had at the front door. Well, this was a few months later. This was last October. They just don't like cedars. They also, I guess, like this. Make sure the volume's up.
Yeah, so uh, that's the end of it there. So, so, so anyways, I mean, it pretty much finished off that nice geranium, and I guess it was figured it was, uh, had its season in the sun, and it was time uh, for it to end. Um, but again, amazing creatures. They can run. They can jump. I don't know if you've ever seen that. A few, it was a couple of years ago. We were coming home, and, and we saw some deer in our front yard. And, and so you'll see this the front yard of our, our house. And then that picture on the right is, is just of that trail just going up alongside of our house. And I just took these pictures the other day just so you'd see perspective of this. And so um, my son and I have kind of had a thing that if you have deer, you try to scare them and get them running a little bit. And, and so with the car, I think we barely came to a stop. He jumped out and, ah, you know, and, and he was yelling. And the thing went running up the side along the house here in full force, and I kind of thought, yeah, let's get him, you know, let's, let, let's see him, you know, see where he ends up. Well, if you go on to the next picture, what ended up happening is, is now a picture from our backyard, and you see the trampoline. What happened, now, if you go back, just, if you can go back, Chrissy, that would be great, super. So, so as you go running up the side of the house, now again, go forward, beautiful, there's the trampoline that is there. Now, there had been freshly fallen snow that had just fallen, so there was like no tracks, no nothing, and except for the only tracks there were were in front of the trampoline, on the trampoline, and on the other side of the fence that you'll see there. I would love to see the video of that, that kind of airtime, that deer hit jumping up on the trampoline and then jumping up, and you just saw the, the paw prints. I should have taken pictures of it because I know you just won't believe it, but, but it did happen, and, and I had family too who backed that up. And, and uh, you know, so, so deer are, are so amazing. Um, Another thing that, that even just, this happened a couple of weeks ago, I went out at night and I was just looking out in the backyard, I was shining a flashlight to see if there's any deer on this, on, in the yard or, or out beyond there, and I saw two coyotes running across the hillside. And I'm like, wow, I, what timing to get to see that. You know what, we're chasing the coyotes? Deer, eight of them were out, like they were going, they were bounding along, they were in full pursuit after these coyotes. I, I talked to a hunter yesterday, I was texting him, he said, I've never heard of that, but you go on YouTube, you see that it does happen, that when coyotes attack little deer, the deer attack and go after the coyotes and give them a little, don't you come knocking down, you know, this little deer, you know, sort of thing. And so, so I, I mean, just set, set all that aside, deer, if you've ever seen them out in the wild or you've seen them in your backyard, they have an amazing agility to be able to walk and jump and bound along steep and rocky surfaces. I mean, they were going full steam like crazy just right across the yard there or, or the backyard where it's rocky and there's tree stumps and there's branches and they were just going without a problem. You see, when the Lord is our strength, when our trust is in Him, He gives us steady feet to rise above, to not slip, to not fall, to bound along and to reach mountain heights even though all of this is going on in our lives. Verses 18 and 19, we see this. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He is the one that strengthens us. He is the one that allows us to tread into upon the high places. God gave Habakkuk the strength and the confidence to face the future because he lived by faith. Today we can know God in even a greater and more personal way than even Habakkuk did, I believe. He believed in God by faith. He trusted in faith. 
Do you know God today? Or do you know just about him? See, Jesus is the only way that we can have a relationship with God. And it is possible for you here today, if you don't have one, and put out a little bit of an alert into you if you prayed a prayer in your young days and you think you're good. You made Jesus your forever friend. Be very careful that you examine that commitment in your standing with the Lord. We need to make our calling sure, God's word tells us. And we can have a relationship with God, a real relationship with God. It's possible by believing that God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son Jesus, his only son, to this earth. And he came to this earth and he lived among us as God in the flesh. He lived a perfect life, died on the cross for the sins of the world, a substitutionary death, and there he received the wrath of God because our sin, it was all poured out on Jesus. And he substituted himself in our place and he positions us then in a place to receive his mercy. Wrath to Jesus, mercy for us. Three days later, he rose from the dead and we're getting ready in a number of weeks to celebrate the biggest victory and the celebration that we have, his conquering of sin and death and hell. And for all those who believe, not just a head knowledge, but repent, turn from their sin, confess their sins and desire to live a life of obedience, to follow him, understanding his great love, understanding the gospel, the good news of what he has done. We can, as we turn from our sins and we trust in him as our Lord and as our Savior, we can rest and rely and rejoice in God's strength and to know that he will see us through. He will make your feet feet like that of deer, being able to rise up and be strengthened through the consequences and the circumstances you face because God is at work in his children by his Holy Spirit. There's one last movement that we can declare here. And we see it in the last few words of this great book that oftentimes we might overlook, but we can't All of God's word is so important. Look at the last part, 19, the end of it. And and here's this movement. I will worship with God's people. And it says at the very end, to the choir master with stringed instruments. Every word in the word of God is important. Placed there by God for a reason. We can't overlook that last statement. The choir master... To the choir master and to the stringed instruments. This was a song that was to be sung... These were truths that the God's people were to sing to and, and, and over one another. These last 16 verses were to be sung by God's people, declaring God's power, God's greatness, and our decision to choose to trust and to rest and to believe in Him. There's something powerful and, can I say, necessary for the followers of Christ to be in the presence of God with the people of God, reminding ourselves of the promises of God, singing the praises of God. This is needed. We don't just show up on Sunday to get a few songs into us, hear a sermon, and then one response song and and, and end it. We are to be here to, to sing to God, to sing around one another, sing these truths to brothers and sisters in Christ who could be in a gloom and st- or doom stage in their life, or maybe you are, and we're singing it by faith, we're singing it in obedience, we're singing it in trust that God will see us through. Worship is an important step in getting us from the those and even ifs. Because yet I will rejoice. It's getting our focus and our affection on what truly matters. It's important that instead of running from God or running from the people of God, that we sing together as God's people. 
we remember together the goodness of our God. And there may be times that you just cannot sing, but you need others singing around you. You see, God doesn't need our worship because he's just like, give me worship, give me worship, I just need worship, you know, just give me some worship right now, I just need to hear some good things about me. No, it's because we need it. We need to remind ourselves of who God is and all that he has done. And Psalm 22 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. We want God to inhabit our praises and inhabit our lives that comes as we worship and as we praise and we sing these truths with surrendered hearts to him. And so Habakkuk wrestles with God. He waits for God. He receives a word from God and then he worships God. Oh, would that be true for us? That in our wrestle, we would wait for God. We would receive a word from God from the word of God. Not about silencing yourself or clearing your mind and getting some new fresh revelation from him. He's given us all the revelation we need in the word of God. And then we would worship him. And I wonder today as we go to worship, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, I wonder if some declarations need to be made here this morning. Some declarations to God. What is the situation in your life? Those of you in live stream theater, what is the situation in your life? In our lives here, each one of us, the dilemmas, that person we just don't know what to do with, that dilemma. What is it that you're needing to surrender to him today and declaring, God, you are God? And by faith, you surrender it to God. By faith, you surrender yourself to God. And by faith, we trust him in the trouble. By faith, we rejoice in the God of our salvation, in the those and even ifs. And by faith, we rest in his strength. Determining not to run from him nor from his people, but I will worship. I will worship you, God, and I will worship with your people no matter what. Today we're going to have an extended time of worship in the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask the band to come up and join me at this time. As we take time to remember Jesus, we're so quickly to forget him, aren't we? In our days, in our weeks, in our decisions, areas in our lives where we have defied him, where we've ignored him, or where we've lived in unbelief, or we've lived in our own power and strength, it's time to come back to him again today. Surrender ourselves, our situations to him. We need to be reminded of God's goodness together in the body of Christ. We need to remember his wrath and his mercy, and his mercy included the broken body and the shed blood of the Son of God, where God's wrath was satisfied, where his redeeming love was demonstrated.